Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. Thanks for coming this morning. If you're listening in your earbuds or you're in your truck or you have speakers going on in your shop, wherever you are, welcome. Thanks so much for, thanks so much for joining me today on the last day of Thatch. Hooray. <laughs> Thank goodness. So we're going to do a video today. Look forward to that in a few minutes. We're going to sum up the thatch topic at the end with some practical points. So if you haven't watched any of the previous videos, you can kind of get a summation of recommendations and what does and doesn't work and those things at the end of today's video. Uh, we have an article. I changed the article. I was going to do a different article, but last minute I decided to change it. We're going to talk a little bit about the channel. And um, that's it. And then we'll go on to something else next week. So before I forget, let me actually pull it up here real quick. The Each uh, episode is being loaded to the podcast platforms on my on my podcasts and you can access those through any of your podcast apps that you like to use and i wanted to briefly show you what we're dealing with here let me bring this up i think i can do this without screwing things up so uh, this is the system that i use called podbean very common. And you can go on here and um, see all the episodes. You can go on Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. If you prefer to just listen while you're driving or working, you, um, the podcasts sometimes are more desirable. And we have 52 episodes. That's not including yesterday. I didn't even know that. 52. I just lose track of it. So that's 52 episodes. I don't know how many hours, 50 or 60 hours of all evidence-based turf grass management information, most of it on cool season fall fertility and thatch, because those are the two main topics we've covered over the last couple of months. So please go and consider that if you're, uh, you want to catch up on something. They're all, these are all the live. I'm not doing any edited stuff on the podcast. I'm just, I'm loading it the live version. I'm cutting out the intro music and the exit stuff like that, but it's strictly what you, here on YouTube in the live stream is what's being loaded to the podcast platforms. So if you're a podcast person, you like listening to that, you can access that. So you can see all the exact same titles that the uh, YouTube videos are. So you should be able to keep track of it if you haven't watched one or you haven't listened to one. Please consider that if you if you're interested in doing pot or listening to it through through podcasts. The other thing I wanted to briefly mention before I get on to the show today is the channel, my, my YouTube channel. If you haven't gone on there, um, recently and snooped around and looked around at various, I don't know, ways I've set things up, you can, you can go on there. And what I've done is, let me bring it, bring it up. Hopefully I can do this without messing everything up. What I've done is I've organized everything by, um, by playlists, uh, hang on a second, I'm messing things up by playlists. So if, if you're so inclined or you have a question or you have, I don't know, you're, in, you're given a 
topic or someone says something about soil pH, well, you can just go to the playlist on soil pH and view all the episodes that contain some sort of pH related information in it. Um, micronutrients, we have a playlist for that. I introduced one today called biostimulants. I'll be doing biostimulants for a month in the spring. Water, you know, the fallacies and when I've been identifying various fallacies, there's five videos in that and so forth. All the guests, if you just want to see just the episodes of the, when I have guests on, there's a playlist just for guests. So I'm just mentioning that to, to remind you that, or just to inform you that the channel's sort of developing and it seems like for my own uh, easeability of finding things, I've, I've arranged things in playlists because I sometimes can't remember what episode I said something on or whatever, but I know it was on phosphorus. So I have a playlist on phosphorus so I can at least kind of refine it down to a handful of videos instead of just looking back through all the live streams. You can kind of maybe, maybe just for simplicity, you can find what you're looking for a little easier that way. So that's the news on the YouTube channel and the playlists. We have a video today we're going to watch. And the reason I want to show this is in the, I'm not going to show the, the comments of this video, um, but the, in the comments of the video, there are two or three of my audience members that uh, commented on this video a year ago and they were favorable comments. So, I mean, I, I'll, let me tell, before I bring it up, let me just read the comments. So I don't want to tell you who it was from. I don't want to embarrass anybody. One of the comments from one of my, um, audience members says great job this is a great video i'll be using their products another audience member that of mine that also watches my channel says i agree with this except for the choice choice not to bag the clippings and and so forth so basically they're favorable of what the the video says uh, and i wanted to show this now because the video has something to do with thatch and i'm just curious now, after having gone over thatch, what you might think about this particular video now having, I mean, the idea being that I'm hoping you have some sort of fundamental understanding or knowledge of the turf grass thatch system so that now when you're presented with the video like this, what is your response now compared to a year ago, um, when you originally replied to the, to the comments and don't, don't pull the people out or call them out or anything. It's, it's irrelevant. I just want to point out that back then we looked, okay, well this, I'm going to use these products. It sounds good. And now, now what? After seeing the, the information that we presented in the scientific literature, I'm curious as to what your response might be now. Um, okay. Before I get to that. So I'm just, let me just read the chat. Okay. Yeah, on to some more. Grateful, he says, on to some more interesting and fact-based subject. Believe me, I mean, I, I'm I'm just as anxious as anybody to get get on to the next subject. Uh, this thatch is necessary, but uh, not my first choice, I would say. Long guy, one hundred. Good morning, welcome. Excellent. Have liked the stuff on the thatch, but ready for some iron stuff. Yeah, the iron's going to be on Monday. I don't know how long I'll go over iron. There's some gobs of papers on iron. I'll probably go over iron through the end of the year until Christmas break. So another seven episodes. I, well, maybe I, let me think. Let me think. So it's 
my kids are out of school on the 20th, so I have another six episodes. So four episodes next week and then two, the 18th and 19th, and I'll be off. So, I, yeah, I might not be able to finish the iron in six episodes. I may have to go into January on that one. But regardless, it'll be iron through the up to, up to the Christmas break. Okay. So, yeah, I'm ready for something new, too. Believe me. All right, here we go. Next, here's the video I'm talking about. It's a video by a channel called The Neighbor Dominator. The title is What is Thatch and How to Manage It? Improving the Health of Your Lawn. Soil Microbiology. I've skipped through the first three minutes and I got to the section where he's talking about mechanical thatch removal. And it's only about another three minutes. Sorry, three minutes. I won't go all the way to the very end of the conclusions. It's a little bit um, unnecessary, but I'll play the next couple of minutes here. So how do we fight this? One way is mechanically. Now while removing- Of course he's talking about thatch. How do we, how do we fight thatch? Removing thatch manually with a rake is backbreaking. It's also satisfying using a dethatcher, but now you gotta deal with all these silly cords. And now we're getting rid of this material that can be broken down and turned back into nutrients. Okay, so I actually wanted to show this and pause it here because these are the dethatchers that I'm talking about when I'm not convinced that these will do much of anything. This is more of a mental satisfaction probably than an actual physical removal of thatch or a meaningful reduction in the thatch itself. These little things you can rent from Home Depot and Lowe's or wherever they are, I, I mean, I'm not going to say they won't do anything, but if you have a serious thatch problem, this is not the, the instrument to use. This is not going to really rip up the thatch and tear it out to the degree necessary to see a reduction. So again, I'm not saying you wouldn't see a benefit. Maybe you would, but I'm not convinced you would because I've seen these instruments compared to, or these machines compared to vertical rakes, vertical cutters, you know, air fires, and these things that really go in and do some serious removal. And this is nowhere in the same ballpark as, as those machines. So I, I personally would never use one of these. I would never consider it. Um, but I wanted to show this because this is sort of a futile action. If, if, if whatever this removes, which it will pull things up, no question. But if it, whatever, if you're using this and it's pulling things up, you probably don't have a thatch problem to the degree you need necessary to use it. In other words, when you have a thatch problem actually causing problems with your turf, this is not going to do it to the magnitude necessary, remove that to the magnitude necessary to actually see a beneficial response. In my opinion, I'm not, I'm not convinced it will, I should say, okay, you, you really got to get in and tear things up. And this is not, this is not near robust enough to do it. And if it, and if it does pull things up, great, fine. But just keep in mind, you got to remove enough of it. And I don't, I just don't, I'm not convinced this would do it. Let's continue. That's where soil microbiology from Turf Titan comes into play. So you can even see this thing's running over and I don't, who knows if he's already done it once or twice in this spot, but it's not really pulling much up. And I know there's other videos that you can show that there is, it is removing some, uh, tissue. Uh, but in this case, it's not showing any serious removal and maybe there is no thatch here. Maybe it's not really a thatch, thatchy lawn. I don't know. This right here is thatch buster. This has 30 different soil microbes in it. They all serve a purpose and they are hungry. 
Okay, so you're going to see really what is an example of, of an, another straw man um, fallacy here where there's 30 different microbes. He's going he's gonna to throw a lot of things at you, 30 different microbes and all these things. And they're hungry and they're going to eat things. But I'm going to contextualize this a little bit. 30 different microbes is completely irrelevant, irrelevant in, in, under, in two cases. One, if it doesn't contain the microbes that you actually need, being white rot fungi, then it's irrelevant. Okay, so don't worry about 30 different microbes. But even in, in addition to that, 30 microbe species is literally not, it's a, it's a drop of, it's a grain of salt in the ocean of the soil microbiology in a, in a teaspoon of soil, even less than a teaspoon, really like a gram of soil. Let's just use a teaspoon because people can visualize that. There are on average more than 10,000 different species of microorganisms in a, in a little teaspoon It's probably closer to 20,000 in a teaspoon. There's, trillions of microbes in a teaspoon of soil in a normal soil. I'm not talking about some, you know, purified sand, you know, that's been gassed or something, but you know, in an agricultural soil, there can be, there can be trillions of microbes in a teaspoon, tens of thousands of species of microbes in a teaspoon. So to add 30 or 40 microbes, species of microbes is it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Okay. And now if you're adding 30 or 40 microbes of white rot fungi in a soil that doesn't contain any, then perhaps there may be something going on there. But in this case, he's not doing that. I'm going to show you the product here in a second. They've actually done studies in cornfields where when they harvest, all the stalks, grains, and kernels are all over the field and they need these things to break down so they can replant. And they have supplied this to farmers. Okay, so th what would this be an example of? So now we've we've been we've been introduced to various flaws in reasoning. What would be this be an example of in your mind if you're sitting in your car, you're listening, or you're at work, or you're in your office and you're listening to this? Think about this for a second. We're talking about turf grass thatch reduction using a micro microbial product, micro product, and instead of talking about that argument or that situation we're talking about a different situation that looks similar corn we're talking about corn uh residue from harvesting corn we're talking about that in the field and they're saying they've done research on corn in the field and shown there's been some degradation so it sounds similar it sounds like they're similar situations but it's not they're different and that's a straw man Okay, it's ironic that we're actually showing corn straw on the on the screen at the same time, talking about a straw man argument. Um, but that's what that is. It doesn't mean it won't affect the thatch in turf grass. But what it is is it's it's a known flaw. I'm not going to be convinced because you're showing me a straw man argument. It may be the case that even with this bad argument, that indeed it does affect the thatch in the turf. It may. But there's no good reason to believe it or be convinced that it will based upon this reasoning. And now they are bottling this stuff up that farmers use and they're giving it to us DIYers. When you spray this stuff down, it's gonna eat all the dead organisms and start breaking down that thatch and returning all those nutrients back into the soil so it's available for the plant. 
And this guy doesn't know that. I mean, this guy's just an innocent victim of misinformation, probably. Or maybe he's selling it. I don't know. Maybe he's the owner. I don't have a clue who he is. But um, he doesn't know that to be true. He's just, you know, saying things that are probably on a marketing sheet or on the back of the jug or whatever. But it's important that we differentiate the, between the two. This is very dangerous information. Continuing to say mis, to say untruths, misinformation, if you say them enough times, there are many papers that show humans will eventually become convinced that it is true. Even when they know from the beginning that it wasn't true. You say it over and over and over and over and over. And from the beginning, they'll say, the, 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 the I'm thinking of one specific paper here, the the people in this study will say at the beginning they know at the beginning they knew it was not true but over time of hearing the same misinformation over and over and over again they eventually well maybe it is true so this this particular gentleman is not necessarily saying that but all the videos is what i'm talking about constant misinformation being being flooded in, into your ears and your eyes and you're receiving all this misinformation Human nature, you're going to eventually become convinced if you're not well versed in in the um, in the literature and these systems. Okay. I want you to think of a buffet. We are adding in a bunch of good guys, all the good bacteria, and that's going to be eating all the thatch. So we're adding in a bunch of good guys. I mean, maybe he is. You know, like I said, it's a grain of salt in the in the ocean. So there, I can't say you didn't add the grain of salt, but when you're when you're adding in 30 or 40 species, and I don't know the total number that he added, uh, in, in the rates or whatever, but we're doing that in a, in a system that is known to contain trillions of microbes in a teaspoon, the thousands and thousands of species in a teaspoon. It's for the most part irrelevant. It's insignificant. And that's not going to leave any food for our fungi and pathogens to eat. So this stuff kind of acts like a disease control. And if you saw my last video on Root Booster, that has 28 microbes in it. This has another 30 in there. We have over 50 different bacterias that are eating everything in the lawn. Okay, so we know from the literature we've gone over that bacteria do very little to thatch, if anything. There's some cellulose that might get broken or cellulose that might get broken down, some hemicellulose, but that's going to get broken down anyway. I mean, it will break that down, but adding in bacteria is not going to really do anything to, to thatch reduction. It's the lignin, it's the white rot fungi and the cell, the lacase that actually breaks the lignin down and exposes those internal sugars to degradation. All right. Without that, the, the components of thatch that we need to break down are protected from degradation. And that's going to scare away all of our, our bad guys. And if you want to go the extra mile, which you can, is at, you can tank mix this stuff. You can mix it with your favorite. I'm going to skip this because this misinformation is actually kind of dangerous. So I'm going to move on to the conclusions. I don't want to spread this any further than I need to. So there's one thing about this product that you need to understand is that it's not gonna heal the lawn and get rid of all the thatch overnight. This isn't like a 24-hour iron and you're gonna get a, a good green response right away. This is like probiotics for your gut. This is probiotics for the lawn. It says okay, so another straw man, right? It's, it's trying to use an example to convince you what he's saying is true. It's like probiotics for your gut when you're adding in uh, microflora and, into your 
into your gut to enhance digestion or whatever. So I just want to show that as there's two or three examples of strawman in this video. There's no reason to believe it. There's no evidence to support it. Um, and in fact, there's evidence to refute it. So wanted to show that that video as one of the last videos because we, we covered thatch less, didn't do anything. Let me go back to me. We covered a product called thatch less, didn't have any effect. Actually, it increased thatch in one case. We covered thatch X, didn't do anything, except it also increased thatch in one case. Um, there was a, oh, we're actually going to show, I'm going to show when we get to biostimulants. There's another study that had biostimulants in it with thatch. That's sort of a, it's not a very strong study, but I'll go over that and I'll come back to thatch in a couple of months with that one paper. And it actually showed no influence with thatch. The article today is going to show no influence on thatch basically, and it's going to um, use biostimulants. So essentially what I'm getting at here, guys, is when it comes to anything in a bottle for thatch control, there is very little reason, very few reasons to be convinced that it will result in a reduction in thatch, just straight up. There is, there are some lycase enzyme products. Oh, I don't know how many there are out there actually, but there is some evidence that that might work. Okay. Yesterday we showed a study from Clemson that showed that the application of the blackstrap molasses had a little bit of an impact on there. There was, was that on thatch or was that on some other variable? I can't remember, but there was also another product in there. I think it was called Earthmax that had a little bit of a influence on roots. So, but when it comes to breaking down thatch, it, <laughs> It's really straightforward. You're, you're not going to apply some liquid to the, to the lawn or for, to your fairways or to your putting greens or teas and consistently see any benefit to that when in terms of thatch reduction. It's just not going to happen. You might have one offset. You may have an outlier. You may be that 1% or 2% that fall outside the, the probability range or whatever, and you might be that one guy or one girl. But... Across the board, the evidence is pretty strong that you are wasting a ton of money by buying these products with the intent of reducing thatch. Okay? <laughs> Just want to make that clear. Let's get on to the article today because I don't think we've gone over any biostimulants on thatch. And this article is actually more about roots, but it has a thatch component to it, and I want to go over it. And I'm going to go over biostimulants. Don't worry about that. I'll go, in, go into them in more detail when I get to that topic. But because I haven't really gone into biostimulants too much, yesterday there was you could argue that the, one of the products was a biostimulant, I guess. But I wanted to kind of wrap this whole thing up with this particular article and... Um, close it out with that. So let me see if I can get, okay, here we go. So the title of this article is mowing height, nitrogen rate, and biostimulant influence root development of field grown tiff eagle Bermuda. Now this was in 2006 in Hort Science, one of our better journals. Hort Science is a pretty strong journal. This is by the team at Clemson. So Tucker and McCarty and Hybo and Christina Wells. Oh, and, and James, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his James last name, Reich or Reek. 
So if you don't know much about Tiff Eagle, I'm going to read the introduction. A lot of lawn care folks might not be familiar with Tiff Eagle. So let me get through the introduction. This is a very, very short paper. We won't be here very long today, guys. Last, last night's um, show was an hour and a half or something. Today is not going to be that. Newer dwarf Bermuda grasses, such as Tiff Eagle, produce a higher quality turf under low mowing heights and retain better color under cool, cooler climates. So Tiff Eagle is a putting green grass. It's in my in my opinion, in my experience with it, I, that's the turf grass that I would personally choose if I were in warm season climates. And I had a golf golf course. I mean, it, it's one. It comes from a saw producer that is one of the best saw producers, bar none, up in I think I think they're up in Georgia. Extremely good, extremely pure sprigs come in they're really really good and the turf is it grows and it grows and you have to manage it you can't just stick it out there and forget about it you have to know what you're doing with it but it produces a very good quality putting green but at the time in 2006 a lot of the stuff wasn't quite known yet tiff eagle bermuda grass provides a superior playing surface compared to the previous industrial standards tiff green and tiff dwarf when mowing heights of less than or equal to 3.2 millimeters for extended periods when mowed at that height Tiff Eagle Bermuda grass appears to have several advantages over its predecessors, but additional research on the best management practices of Tiff Eagle Bermuda is needed to realize the full potential of this cultivar. It's been in the industry for many years now, and it's a very, very good cultivar. Progressively lower mowing heights on turf grass root systems are normally detrimental, but players often desire lower heights as they seek faster, stronger, and smoother playing surfaces. These extremes are often play, often place golf course superintendents in a precarious position with customers demanding faster playing surfaces at the expense of desirable rooting. So this is, this is very true. Unfortunately, golfers usually want fast greens. That's different than consistent greens or uh, pure rolling greens or trueness of the green. In other words, if I, I think if we had slow greens, but the green was perfectly smooth, we would, I think we would adapt to it and be fine with it. And we wouldn't have to grow grass in such a stressful environment, but they, people see these putting greens on TV rolling at 12s and 13s and they, they think they want to play on that. You're not a pro. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're, you're not a scratch golfer usually. So uh, these high speed greens these really fast greens. It, it's very, very stressful on the grass and it's very difficult to maintain that speed because you got to keep that grass cut and you got to keep it rolled and you got to keep it, you know, tight. And that's a lot of resources. And I think where I'm going with this is that in the long run, I think it might be a year, it might be 40 years. I don't know. I think the American golf uh, industry is going to have to realize that they're going to, they're going to need to adapt to a different desired playing surface because the resources required to maintain that speed or in, in immense. And, and there's a lot of input required in terms of water and nutrients and pesticides and things like that. Okay. And if we're going to become a little bit more sustainable, we're going to, we're going to use fewer inputs so we can kind of get the target off our back. We're going to have to at some point consider it's going to have to come from the golfers. And I, I think if it's smooth and uniform and the ball's rolling true, but it's rolling a 10 instead of a 12, I think we can learn to live with that. If it's rolling a five or a six, we got a problem. But, you know, these rolls of 12 and 13 and 14 feet 
or it's very, very stressful to keep that, that turf rolling that fast all the time. I think we can get by as long as it's smooth and consistent among greens, we can get by it with the 10 and, and probably be fine and have fewer inputs. We wouldn't require as much input on to keep it that way. That's my take on it anyway. Hybrid Bermuda grass cultivars exhibit increased shoot growth and improved turf quality in response to infertilization. They're going to talk, they're going to talk about infertilization and talk about mowing height. Biostimulants. Biostimulants are, are plant hormone containing substances that can stimulate growth with exo, when exo, exogenously applied. Biostimulants pr- products have great potential in the turf grass industry if they actually enhance root and shoot growth under field conditions. The addition of exogenous plant hormones can increase antioxidant activity in cool season grasses, as well as improve drought and heat tolerance in growth chamber studies. We're going to get to biostimulants in great detail in the future, but I wouldn't take this paragraph and run with it quite yet. The objective of the study, the objectives of the study were to examine the effect of mowing height, in rate, and cytokinin containing biostimulants on tiff eagle Bermuda grass root growth. So he talks about root growth. But really, he talks. There's going to be root growth and thatch and quality and NDVI and a lot of other stuff. So this could have been this objective here could have been uh, more detailed. Okay, so let's get through the materials and methods, and we'll get to the discussion. And we're almost over. It's not very long. This study was conducted on tiff eagle Bermuda grass at Clemson. So we're in South Carolina. The green was sprigged in 1999 with tiff eagle Bermuda grass. The soil profile was an 85-15 sand peat. So for those unfamiliar, USGA spec greens uh, have a variety of different components to them but if it's 85 15 or 90 10 sand peat that what that means is sand with a peat component to it blended together that's usj spec green each study this is going to be critical i'm going to come back to this in a uh, at the end each study in this paper was conducted for two months so it was they were between july and august of 2002 and then july and august of 2003 so it's an eight week run that was conducted and then nothing happened for 10 months and then they did it again in terms of the study okay i'm gonna i'm gonna that's gonna be important at the end so don't forget that it wasn't conducted the treatments didn't continue to be applied all year long it was only a two-month span and then they stopped so at the end of july and the end of august so september october nothing was applied september well no biostimulants were applied um, from the beginning of September all the way through through the end of June. All right. I'll wrap that up and tie it together at the end. Three mowing heights, 3.24 and 4.8 millimeters were maintained with three separate real mowers. So they're doing three different mowing heights and they're mowed six days a week. Three in rates were applied. All plots received an 18, well, that's probably an 18, 5, 20, maybe. I don't know what that is in, in the oxide equivalent. But it's a, basically a one-to-one end decay with some phosphorus in it. 50% slow release at a rate of a quarter pound of N per thousand square feet per week. Additional nitrogen treatments <clears throat> re, <clears throat> nitrogen treatments received ammonium sulfate at a quarter pound or three quarters of a pound per hectare per week, producing a total rate of a half a pound to one pound of N per hectare. I'm sorry one pound in per thousand square feet per week. So a half a pound to a pound per week. <clears throat> so what I'm saying with that is if you're applying a pound per week during the growing season in South Carolina, let's just assume it's six months. So six times four is 24 pounds of in if you have a six month growing season. 
So it's a pound in per week on a Tiff Eagle putting green. And that's what I was getting at earlier when I'm talking about that is probably necessary. That's probably excessive. You can cut that, you know, like say they have, they have half that as well, 12 to 24 pounds if it's a six month growing season. That's probably, at least the 12 pounds probably needed on Tiff Eagle to keep it growing, keep it alive at that, with that intensity, with that speed that they're looking for, you know, with that low high to cut and so forth. And I, I just think that in the long run, I'm not convinced that that's going to be allowed or sustainable. Um, you know, it's in some point in the future, we're going to, they're going to, we're going to need to find a way to produce a product that's acceptable to golfers that does not require that much input. Okay. Biostimulant treatments. The biostimulant treatments consisted of a Panacea plus bio, it's called bio one. I didn't look this up, but he explains it. It's from Emerald Isle, Emerald Island. It was applied to manufacturer recommended rate every four weeks or this plant NONG. So it's bio one and bio two from Sin Charmin and Sin LLC. I don't know what that is at this particular rate every two weeks. Panacea plus is a liquefied sea plant extract with labeled claims to deliver hormones, nutrients, and trace elements to turf grasses. The active ingredient listed in the plant NONG label is a cytokinin at 0.01% of the total concentration. So when you're talking about bio one, we're going to be talking about sea plant extracts. And we're talking about bio two, we're going to be talking about cytokinins. All right. Now let's get to the results. Pretty straightforward here. We're all, you know, the results are three paragraphs and we're done. So when you see TLD here, it's the thatch layer depth. Thatch layer depth increased in response to mowing height and nitrogen rate, table one. The two higher mowing heights, 4.8 and 4 millimeters, increased the thatch layer depth by 6%. The two higher in rates, half a pound and one pound, increase the thatch layer depth by 3% compared to the lowest in rate of a quarter pound. So let's go down here and I'll show you this table and I'll, I'll read it for our uh, listeners. If I can get it on the, I can't get it on the screen. Like, no, I can't. So I'm going to go right here. Okay. So table one is the uh, two year combined effect of mowing height. I'm assuming there was no interaction since they, they merged years here and pooled years. We have turf quality, thatch layer depth with the RSA is the root surface area. And then we have the RLD, which is the root length density. Okay. Mowing height of 3.2 is on the, in this first column, three, four, and 4.8. And then we have nitrogen rates of a quarter, a half, and one pound per week. And you'll notice he's talking about the thatch layer depth. So the thatch layer depth is this column right here. And you'll see it goes from the mowing height of 3.2 millimeters as we increase the mowing height, we increase the thatch. Okay. And the reason for that is you're probably increasing the growth. In other words, you're keeping it down so low that this, the, the growth rate is probably quite low when you, as you lower the de lower the mowing height, when you increase the nitrogen rate from a quarter to a half, you see an increase in thatch and then you increase it again. You don't see an increase between half and one pound in but you do from that quarter pound. So you're increasing thatch 
in this case by applying nitrogen and you're increasing it by increasing the height of cut. You won't always find that in every literature. Okay, you won't find that increasing nitrogen rate always increases thatch. But in this study, they did find that. Okay, now let's get to root surface area. Mowing height and nitrogen rate both influence root surface area. The highest mowing height had 18% more root surface area than treatments mowed at 3 and 4 millimeters. Um, the two highest in... Oh, but oh, you know what? Before root surface area, I'm sorry. Before root surface area, let me back up. Still on thatch layer depth, which is really why we're here. Thatch layer depth. The last sentence I highlighted in yellow, it says biostimulant use did not influence thatch layer depth. There is no data, there are no data, on thatch layer depth in this, in this article. Because it says right here, biostimulants had no influence on thatch layer depth. So if you're applying a biostimulant that contains a cytokinin or one that contains, let's see, what was the other one? It was uh, liquefied sea plant extract delivered hormones and nutrients and trace elements this is evidence to can um, hopefully convince you to not use those if you're trying to use those to reduce the thatch layer depth because there was no influence from the biosimmons on thatch layer depth the root surface area was increased there's the root surface area was increased by the mowing height and it was increased by the nitrogen rate so as we increase mowing height, we increase the root surface area. And as we increase the nitrogen rate, we increase the root surface area again. Okay. It's the blocking and tackling guys. And you want to win championships. You can go out and get all, pay the millions of dollars to get these, you know, people who can do these crazy catches and do these 360 dunks and everything. And that's all fine. That's great. But it's the blocking and tackling. It's the basic understanding of how to pass the ball and how to work together as a team. It's the fundamentals is what I'm saying. And when we're talking about mowing height and nitrogen rate, you don't get more fundamental than that in turf grass management. Mowing is perhaps the most harmful event and the most impactful event in terms of cultural management you're going to ever do. And you can see right here, it influences the thatch layer depth as you increase the, the height and it, and it increases the root surface area as you increase the height. And root length density, it also increases the root length density as you increase the height. The nitrogen rate increases the root length density as you increase the height. So it goes from 32 millimeter, the mowing height, if you go from three to five millimeters, it goes from 32 millimeters per cubic centimeter root length density to 37. And then if you increase the nitrogen rate, it even had more, well, roughly, eh, roughly the same impact. It went from 32 to 37 and root length density. I'm not overly in, interested in root length density and root, all these things. But um, if that's something you're interested in, the nitrogen Applying more nitrogen will generally increase the root length. Not always, but in this case it did. And increasing the mowing height will increase the root length density and the root, uh, the root surface area. Okay. And it increased the thatch layer depth. And when you increase the mowing height, you increase the quality. The minimum was, was it seven? The, the turf quality ratings, where did they do the turf quality ratings? One to nine, uh, they don't have. Oh, seven was the minimal acceptable quality. So when you when they were when they were mowing it at three millimeters, it was marginally acceptable. Six point eight, I would say it's basically the same as seven. But let's say it's not seven. So let's say it's unacceptable. It went from seven to eight. You're going to notice that it's going to be visible, and it's also statistically significant where the increase in mowing height increased the quality. The increase in mowing height 
I'm sorry, the increase in nitrogen rate also went from an unacceptable turf to an acceptable turf. So mowing height and nitrogen rates are the most influential in this study. You're seeing the influence turf quality, thatch layer depth, root surface area, and root length density. As you increase the height of cut and you increase the nitrogen rate, you're increasing those variables. Sometimes you might not want to in the case of thatch, but you're increasing the quality and you're increasing the roots as well. All right. So the root surface area, it says in here as well, biostimulants did not influence root surface area and you will not see any, any data on that because there's no, there's no, uh, data on root surface area. There was on biostimulants. They didn't include it. Root length density. There was an influence on root length density. They had to break it up in years. In this case, there must've been an interaction. I don't know. And the root leak density from the biostimulant says if each year is examined separately. Now, I don't know what that means. If there was no interaction, let me see if there was an interaction. Mowing height interactions with nitrogen or biostimulants were not detected. However, main effect of mowing height was year by nitrogen was year by nitrogen by biostimulant interaction was detected and thus biostimulants were analyzed separately by year. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so at uh so they separated it by year because there was there were differences within uh, among years. So you had to look at the biostimulant effect in year 1, 2002 and then they had to look at it separately in year t- uh 2, 2003 and they had to look at it at the quarter pound in rate. And it said, it says no biostimulant by interaction occurred at the higher end rates. So I guess the higher end rates, there was no effect, I guess. I don't know what that means. I have to look into it further. But anyway, if each year is examined separately, a significant increase in root length density occurred with bio one. That's the product that contains the sea plant extract. When the biostimulant was applied to a treatments receiving the quarter pound of N. After two years of use, wait, wait, significant increase occurred. If each year is examined separately, a significant increase in root length density occurred with by one when the biostimulant was applied to treatments receiving, but it only happened in the second year. After, oh, oh, I guess that's, okay. After two years of use, root length density was increased by 11%. And that's what you see right here. It went from 30 to 34 in root length density, millimeters per cubic centimeter. So you saw an increase from the product containing the sea plant extract, and you did not see any influence in either year from the biostimulant that contained, contained cytokinins. <clears throat> but I want to point this out that year one, nothing happened. Year two, one of the biostimulants resulted in a little bit of root leak density increase, but nothing happened to the thatch at all. And none of the products resulted in any thatch reduction or increase. Okay. This is going to be important when we contextualize this in the next couple of paragraphs. Cytokinin containing bios... And so they, they come to the conclusions here. Okay, I think I'm in the conclusion. Cytokinin containing biostimulants produ- products have potential to increase turf grass rooting... This potential appears greatest 
when turf is grown on sand-based soils under environmental or physiological stresses or when certain growth parameters such as nitrogen are restricted. And they cite this book, which I do not like when people cite books because books are nowhere near as vetted as scientific articles are. But it says cytokinin containing biostimulants products have potential to increase turf grass rooting. So let's go back and it says right here at the top, I'll make sure I'm straight on this. Bio one contains sea plant extract with claims to deliver hormones. I don't know what, what hormones are in there. They don't have it, but the cytokinin containing product was bio two, not bio one and bio two didn't do anything. So I'm confused why they would even write that in here. Cause it seems to me to be misleading. The bio two didn't do anything at all. Didn't increase root link density, didn't increase quality, didn't increase turf density, nothing. Bio one didn't do anything at all, except for the root link density in the second year. Okay. I'm not sure. So I'm not sure why they saw, they, they seem to be promoting or, you know, touting the cytokine containing biostimulant when in fact their study showed it didn't do anything in our study this well maybe i'm missing something okay let me get to the end in our study a cytokine containing biostimulant product demonstrated this potential by increasing bermuda grass root leak density by 11 percent when applied to treatments receiving the lowest end rate i don't understand what they're saying <laughs> unless the bio one contains cytokinins as well let me see if that actually, let me just go to this and see if I can find Panacea Plus on the internet. They, they, uh, they included the, the, the verbiage that the second one contains cytokinins and they specifically omitted it from the first one. So I'm assuming it doesn't contain anything in the first, the first one doesn't contain cytokinins. Well, okay, so on the label, it does say, it does say, I don't, I don't see, No, I don't actually see it on the label, but on their website, it does say product information during high stress periods when the plant stops producing cytokinins, Panaceae Plus provides cytokinins necessary to stimulate and sustain cell division and root tissue. So apparently it does have in that product as well. So they have a product that contains it, I suppose, cytokinins, but they also have another product, this other this other um, plant NONG product that also contains cytokinins and it didn't do anything. Okay, so it contains, let me see if I can back this out just a hair here. In other words, what I'm saying is this product right here, Bio One, does, apparently on their website it says it does contain cytokinins. And this one they say right here, plant NONG, label is a cytokinin contain, containing a 0.01% of the total concentration. So both of them apparently contain it. One of them did something, one of them didn't. Okay. I can't really zoom that in. Okay. Sorry guys. So what I'm getting at is uh, I'm the, the conclusions are, I think are a little firm considering that the, the results are, are not very consistent. 
So let me go. So, so it says in our study, a cytokine containing biostimic product demonstrated this potential by increasing Bermuda grass root link density by 11% when applied to treatments receiving the lowest end rate. Although two years of use were necessary to achieve these results. Okay, this is a little bit of a spin here. Let me get back to it in a second. Therefore, biostimulants effects of ontifical Bermuda grass rooting is an area that warrants further investigation with cultural practices that influence growth and development. Overall, high, higher mowing heights, sufficient but not excessive nitrogen rates, and long-term use of a cytokine containing biostimulant are beneficial to tiff eagle Bermuda grass rooting. That's what they say in the conclusions. Now, what I would say is, you didn't convince me because you had another product that contains cytokines and it didn't do anything. And when you say long-term use, that's a stretch of that definition. Long-term use to me implies you're using it regularly for many years, or at least two or two years or so, multiple years. And in this case, remember at the beginning of the study, they said that it was only an eight-week study. So they did it for two months in the summer of one year, and then they didn't do anything for 10 months. And then they did it again for two months in the following year. So if I'm reviewing this paper and critically thinking my way through it, and they say long-term use, I would not use or I would not consider one eight-week study the prior year and then 10 months of nothing and then another eight-week study the following year, long-term use. I would argue that it's very possible, if not probable, that the response in the second year may have just been happenstance. It may have just... It may have just been random happenstance that it could have occurred. It may have been due to the product. It may have been due to the eight weeks from the prior year and then 10 months of nothing going on. That could have been the case. But it's also, in my opinion, just as likely that one year it didn't do anything and the next year it did do something just because it was just, that's how the data fell. It happens all the time with thatch. We do, we do uh, airification. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We do verticutting, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We apply this product, one year it worked and one year it doesn't. didn't. I don't know if it necessarily had to do with long-term use. I, I think using an eight-week study the prior year and saying that was long-term use is a stretch. Okay, that's a pretty big stretch, I think. Having said that, it very well could have been the case that that happened. I'm just not convinced that it was. Okay, so I'm going to sum up the last week or two or year or whatever, or a month or two, whatever it's been on thatch here. And then we're going to close this off and please do not ask me about thatch again. <laughs> Just go back and look at the videos. <laughs> okay. So we've gone over thatch. What is thatch? Thatch is a why well, thatch is are all the, the stems basically in the, the stolons and rhizomes that exist from above the soil, but below the leaf tissue. In many cases, it's never a problem. Turf-type tall fescue, it's not really a problem. The, the bunch-type grasses generally don't develop a lot of thatch. Okay, that's generally not a problem. It's the lateral growth habit grasses like Bermuda grass, like zoysia grass, like bent grass, like blue grass, Kentucky blue grass. Those grasses that grow laterally, that, that um, develop a lot of above-ground tissue laterally and fill in, if that uh, tissue, above-ground tissue, is not broken down at a rate greater than it's being developed, then the development will continue and continue and grow. Why is that a problem? 
It's a problem in the literature because it impedes the movement of water. In some cases, that, that is true. In other cases, we showed a publication where it impedes the movement of water, but only until it's moistened. Once the thatch layer is moistened, the movement of water moves right through, no problem. But if it dries out, it can impede the movement of water. It also can impede the emergence of leaves through the thatch layer. We did not show any, um, we did not show any publications on that. I don't know if there are any publications on that. But I can tell you with a great deal of confidence, although it's anecdotal, I've visually seen it and I've, and I've treated it when you can tell that the leaf tissue is just not emerging through that thatch and you rip it out and suddenly the turf goes gangbusters. That's very, to me, it was a, a pretty good sign that there's also a detrimental effect of thatch by preventing the emergence of newly emerged new leaves coming through the thatch being exposed to light. So thatch can be a problem. We try to break it down mechanically and through bugs in a jug. Let's talk about mechanical. The, on, on virtually every management practice, whether it's mechanical or otherwise, it's hit and miss. There are no consistent, reliable methods to managing thatch on every situation. So if you got tiff eagle or you got bent grass or you got fairways or you got home lawns or whatever the case is, it's not a one size fits all. It's not, you, can, you should be verticutting, you should be airifying and that'll solve your problem. We've shown publications that airification does help reduce thatch. There's other, there's other publications where we've shown it didn't help reduce thatch. Verticutting or vertical raking, which are two different things, but I'm going to group them together. Vertical, vertical cutting and vertical raking oftentimes do remove a great deal of the thatch in a, in a significant way. Only when you start with a thatch problem. But if you have a thatch problem, vertical raking and top dressing is another thing which uh, increases the interaction with microbial microbes in the, in the root zone or in the thatch layer, sorry, it can also help. But vertical cutting doesn't always help. Vertical raking doesn't always help, but most of the time it does. Top dressing doesn't always help, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it dilutes the thatch layer. Sometimes it actually increases, the, the, the theory is, it increases the microbial interaction with the thatch layer and helps break it down quicker. Okay, so between airification and vertical cutting or vertical raking and top dressing, usually... One of those three, if there was a management practice you had to pick, one of those three is generally the, the more reliable method to thatch management, the physical removal or the uh, dilution of the thatch layer with sand by top dressing or the physical removal with, top, with vertical cutting or aeration are the, are the, I would say, the go-to management practices. If, you, if you're a betting man and it's your money on the line, the money's probably best spent in those areas, but it doesn't always result in a reduction, meaning uh, practically or scientifically. It doesn't always work that way. Okay. <clears throat> so those are the mechanical options. Now, when it comes to the biological options or the bugs in a jug, we've looked at uh, products that contain enzymes. We've looked at product con that contains microorganisms. We've, we looked at products that contain sugars. And today we looked at product that contains um, biostimulants. And almost across the board, there's almost no impact on thatch that's in any, in any, any remote sense of the word consistent, not even remotely consistent, except when the product contains a specific type of lycase applied at the right rate. And even I, I'm, I'm aware that even that product is can not it can result in no influence if not done correctly and if not applied with the, from the right source and so forth 
So the idea of being able to apply a product that can reduce thatch without disrupting the surface is a valid idea. It's a good, it's still a good hypothesis. If someone can figure it out, great. But right now, the consensus of science on thatch reduction from a bottle is that it is very inconsistent. It's almost, it, it's more consistent that nothing happens than something does happen. Bugs in a jug generally won't help. Sugars generally won't help. Hormones generally won't help. It's the lycase, the enzyme lycase. Cellulase generally won't help. The products that contain cellulase are breaking down a product, breaking down a plant component that will normally break down anyway, even in the absence of applying a product. And that product, that component of the plant being the leaf tissue, generally doesn't contribute to thatch anyway because it breaks down so fast. We need to look at the lignin component and we need to find a way to break that open and expose it to uh, microbial degradation. And unless the, the, the bottle contains a product that, that can do that, it's very likely that you're wasting your money. Okay, so that's the thatch summation for hopefully the foreseeable future. <laughs> Again, it doesn't mean some product won't work, but Keep in mind, many of those products contain nutrients, as the one product did in the video we showed yesterday or today, contain nitrogen. Many of those products contain wetting agents that give you the, 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 the visualization, the confirmation bias that the water's moving through the thatch. So, oh, it must be working, must be breaking down the thatch because it moved right through the thatch where uh, my irrigation water wasn't doing it before. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors involved with an, an attempt to convince you that this product is actually breaking down the thatch. Okay, very, very rare that a product in a bottle will break down thatch. Okay, and, I, and like I said, I'm, I'm with the lycase ex exception, that that product seems to be fairly consistent. We just got, got to figure out how to get it on the market and apply it in a way that we can afford to do it. But um, I would, I would, if it were my money, I would be spending my money on more of the fundamentals, the aerification, the verticutting, you know, the top dressing, these, these management practices that are again not very consistent but at least there's more evidence in the literature that those practices will will possibly reduce the thatch depth as opposed to the overwhelming amount of information that all these liquid products don't do that you might find like i said you might find one nugget here or there that it does something but you'll find 10 that says it doesn't do anything okay i'm gonna go to the the chat and see if there's anything interesting that you want me to address <clears throat> Oh, Gray says, Matt says, whatever bacteria is that are added, what, what, Matt says, whatever outside bacteria and microbes introduced to a lawn will be almost instantly eaten up by the existing microbes, <laughs> maybe. I'm not a microbiologist. I just know that it sounds convincing, the microbe arguments and the marketing schemes and scams that exist out there. It sounds sort of convincing. Well, microbes are good. My, you know, and microbes are good. We wouldn't exist without microbes. They, they convert nitrogen and they convert, you know, all sorts of stuff. They break down carbon and they, they're part of the carbon cycle and the nitrogen cycle and the phosphorus cycle. They're, you know, the microbes are going to get their food first. They're going to get their cut. It's like a bookie. <laughs> My, microbes are like a bookie. They're, they're going to take their cut, whether you win or lose one way or the other. You're, the microbes are going to get their food first. They're immensely important. And so it can sound convincing. Oh, I'm applying 15 microbe species to the soil. 
that sounds convincing if you don't have a fundamental understanding of the system. When, now, when you're presented with information, there can be 10,000 species in a teaspoon of soil. 10,000 species, not numbered, species. What, what is adding 30 or 40 going to do? It, it might if it's a specific white rot fungi, but it needs to be that specific fungi. So don't think of microbes as you should do it. Microbes are going to do this. It, 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 microbes behave very differently. And there's even within species, there's very specific functions that they serve. And they have different activity on, on, on lignin. In this case, we're talking about just that. So don't be convinced by these really bad arguments about microbes solving the world's problems because you're going to apply, you know, a million microbes or even a billion microbes. You're going to apply a billion microbes over a thousand square feet. Meanwhile, each teaspoon contains probably a trillion. Okay. It's a very bad um, argument. And, it's, and, it, and I'm sorry that so many people have been convinced to buy these products when there's such little evidence supporting their use. Okay. That's all I got, guys. I'll be back on Monday uh, where we're going to go into more of my fun stuff. Nutrients, iron, potassium. We'll get on to some other stuff. But we're going to talk about blending. The, well, we're going to talk about the actual in, the response of the, of the plant to these products. And the soil soil conversions of these iron sources, but I'm using I'm going to use that as a means to help you when it comes to blending fertilizer and including that component or excluding that component to have you know hopefully the most efficient agronomically efficient and financially efficient uh, nutritional program you can for the upcoming season. Okay, guys, I really appreciate everybody showing up. I have one uh, thing at the end here. Uh, I played a, I played some music a, a month or two ago, and and I I took it off uh, off the end, and no one caught it. So if you got your Shazams running, you can catch who this is. My favorite industrial metal band out of uh, Texas, a three man band, best three man band out of Texas is not this band. It's of course ZZ Top. Anyway, uh, but industrial metal metal is is uh, a little has a soft place in my heart. I'm gonna leave you with uh, my favorite industrial metal band out of Texas, three-man band. See you guys. Have a good weekend. Bye.